Like I said, as we kicked off 2021, we also started a brand new series called High Hopes, where we looked at what is hope really? What truly is hope? Because we have this idea of hope that feels more like wishful thinking. I hope this works out. I hope I get. I'm hoping for said we often use hope in that way, but the biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation, focusing on Jesus and the promise of eternal life that he gives us. So we talked about the, the sand in the glass that represents our life, and so often we get stuck and fixated and focused on just what's in the glass, and we miss that there are thousands and thousands and thousands. And in fact, if you're here last week, we said there are 7.5 quintillion grains of sand, whether that's actually right or not. 7.5 quintillion grains of sand over all the beaches and over all the deserts throughout the world. So yes, what happens in our life on earth matters, but we often neglect the eternal perspective that we are part of something so much more. What happens in our life matters, but it's also has to be in scope of all of eternity. Because that's the hope that we're given. First Peter tells us that. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we're told, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, that hope is given, not earned or deserved. He has given us new birth into a, here it is, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's the hope that we have. So that's the hope, the confident expectation that we have been given. Now that hope is not just for when I die. Oftentimes we think of hope as, well, it's just the promise of heaven. It's the promise of eternal life. Yes, but we get to live that now, starting today, the living hope that we're told about in first Peter, you and I get to live with the living hope starting today. The moment you're a believer, the moment you accept Jesus into your life and you are given that hope, you get to experience and live with that living hope. So you are living with living hope every single day of your life. Not just for all of eternity, but starting here on earth, we're living with that living hope. So if last week we were wrestling with the question of what is hope, what do we put our hope in, what are we hoping for, like what is hope? We answered that, and if you missed it, go back and watch it. It'll catch you up a little bit. Good foundation for what hope truly is according to God's word. Today, I would want us to ask the question, well, what am I supposed to do with that hope? So if I have hope, if I have the promise of eternal life because of Jesus, if I have that hope in me, so what? It's the so what question. It's the big deal question. Like, What does that mean for me today? If I'm living with the living hope, what should that look like? What should that do? Does it change anything in my life or not? Is it for now or is it just for when I die? And what we see, what we're going to look at, is when we have that living hope, it doesn't just change us for all of eternity. It changes us for all of eternity, but that starts here and now. In fact, Paul writes to the, the early church in, Colossians, and in the book of Colossians, and he writes, and a lot of Paul's letters kind of start out the same way. He usually thanks God for something. He usually commends them on something. He points something out about this specific local church. And when he's writing to the Colossians, he says this. He says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now check this out. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people which comes from your confident hope of which God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Did you catch it? 
Notice what Paul's commending them on. He's like, I've heard something about you. Not I witnessed it, not that I witnessed it firsthand, but I heard something about you. He says, I've heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for other people. Now, this part is absolutely fascinating. He says, which comes from your confident hope. So within that sentence and a half, we get a couple things that we're gonna do a deep dive into this morning to help us answer the question, well, what do we do with hope now that we have it? First of all, we recognize what comes from our hope. Here, when Paul writes to Colossians, he says, your faith in Jesus and your love for other people literally come from your confident hope. Another translation says, springs from your hope. So the faith that we have and the love that we have for others comes from hope. Because we have hope, then we have faith. And because we have hope, then we are able to love others. Now, it's not just the faith and the love that come from hope. Paul says, I heard about it. See, Paul was not right there with them. So news had to travel. And so people had to tell people that had to tell people that had to tell people that finally told Paul, guess what is happening? And in order for word to travel like that, it has to be obvious. It has to be evident. So for Paul to say, I've heard of your faith and I've heard of your love that's come from your hope. He's like, you are very obvious with your faith and you're very obvious with your love. And we know that it's because of Jesus. Now, don't mishear me as we talk through what this outward and obvious love looks like, because it's not a love that points back to ourself. Paul points it out. He says, no, I know your faith that's in Jesus. And I know the love that you have for others. It's obvious, but it points people back to the hope that you have. So your hope, the hope that we have, it has to be obvious. The hope in you should be more than just obvious to you. It should be obvious to every single person around you. So often we have a hope that's in us and we're like, yeah, 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 I have the hope. I have the, the, I've received that gift of eternal life. Jesus is my Lord. He's my savior. He's my king. He's my everything. But nobody else knows about it because there's nothing on the outside that, that shows that. And again, we're not trying to show off and build up a name or even a church name. It all points back to the hope that's in us. So we receive this hope of eternal life that's only found in Jesus. And out of that hope, our faith in Jesus grows. And out of that hope, we love others and it's obvious. And when people see that kind of love and that kind of faith, they don't see us, they see the hope that we have in Jesus. Now for something to be obvious, it needs to have two, it has kind of two components. Actions, what you see, and words, what you hear. Our actions and our words are constantly on display. Now more than ever, our words and our actions are constantly on display for the entire world to see. So if something is to be obvious, if something is to be evident, specifically the love that we have for others because of our hope in Jesus, but if that love is to be obvious, we need to see that love shown through actions and also through words. That makes sense, right? Let me help you understand just maybe a little bit more. So there's things in my life that are very obvious. There's things in my life that are not so obvious. Just because they're not obvious doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it's not shown in actions. People don't see it very often. And it's not something that you hear talked about. You don't see it through words. So for example, it's not very obvious that I am a UK basketball fan. Kentucky Wildcats basketball fan. Go Big Blue, go Blue Nation. Like nobody knows that about me. Even though it's very true, it's just not obvious. I grew up 
constantly cheering for UK basketball. I had the UK jerseys whenever we played basketball, pretended to be whoever the player was that season. Like we were a household of, of Wildcat fans. But you don't know that. You've never seen me wear a UK shirt or jersey. You've never heard me talk about UK basketball, probably outside of just this right here. Like it just isn't on my social media. You would not have known that because it's not obvious. It's not evident in my actions and not evident in my words. Here's another one. It's not very, it's true. It's just not very obvious. I work out five times a week. And I know it's not very obvious. <laughs> I get it. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just God has given all of us different body types. I am not a body type where people look at and say, "Woo!" it's obvious he works out all the time. Like nobody says that about me. And that's okay. I'm all right with that. It doesn't mean it's not true. I do work out. And it just, again, it doesn't come up in conversations. I'm not one to like post selfies at me at the gym. You're never going to see that. I promise you that. I work out in secret. So none of y'all know about it. So it's not obvious because you don't see it plastered everywhere. You don't hear it talked about. You don't see it in actions. You don't see it in words. It's still true. It's just not obvious. Now, things that are obvious that are also true, going back to who we're fans of, our family, we are Clemson football fans. So it's, it's obvious. If you follow me or my wife on social media, you will see us in orange hoodies, you know, cheering for Clemson whenever they play. You see our kids decked out, like it's a family thing. So it's obvious, right? We talk about it. It's evident. You see it. I think it's obvious that I, I love my family very, very much. I mean, you probably can't sit through one or two sermons without me talking about my family at some point. If you follow me on social media, you will notice that only two things are ever posted about so, uh, like on my social media platforms. It's either family-related or spiritual-related, so church or God. That's the only thing you're ever going to see really on my social media, maybe a few exceptions. So I think it's obvious that I, I love my family. I think it's obvious that I love my church, the church that we're part of. I think it's obvious that I have a heart for Jesus because those are things that I talk about. Those are things that I, I pray are evident and obvious and seen through actions. So if we have a hope of Jesus in us, is the love that we have for others obvious? That's the question for us to wrestle with. And we're gonna get like super in the weeds with it. Again, I said, it's for something to be obvious. We have to look at our actions and we have to look at our words because if those two don't match, nothing matches. Like if the actions say one thing, but then the words don't back it up, it doesn't correlate. Can we agree on that? Give me a nod. They have to match. So we're going to look at what does it look like to love others with our actions so that it's obvious. How do we love others with our words? Because it all goes back to the hope that we have in Jesus. So to do that, we're going to look at a story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. There's a story of Peter and John. You need to know a little context of the book of Acts if you don't know. So Acts takes place after Jesus had lived his life on earth. He was crucified for our sins. He rose from the dead, and then he has already ascended into heaven. So that means his disciples are now left to basically lead the church, to lead the first early church, and to spread the news about Jesus and the hope that we're talking about, to tell other people about that living hope of eternal life and that that begins now, that we get to live with that, every, that living hope every single day. So Acts chapter three, this is when that is starting. Peter and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, are now showing that kind of obvious love through action and through words. So this story through Acts three and Acts four shows both. 
So we're going to kind of chunk it up. We're going to look at their actions first, how their obvious love was shown in actions because of the hope they had in Jesus. Then we're going to see how Peter's words showed love, obvious love, because of his hope in Jesus. Here's the first part. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Here's the story. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, which at that point is when this man's disappointment probably to set in. Well, that's what I was asking for. That's what I was hoping for. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, and this is important. Say it with me. Praising who? Who is he praising? God, not Peter and not John. That's so important. Again, the obvious love that we're showing to others through our actions and words is not to bring glory and praise to ourselves, but always to point to the hope that we have in us, which is in Jesus. So because of this love, through the actions of Peter and John, this man was praising God. Incredible story of showing love through actions. Before you leave the house, do you do like the pant pat, the pant pat down? You know what I'm talking about? It's the mental checklist to make sure you have everything. You do like phone, wallet, keys, kids, <laughs> usually in that order. <laughs> it's like, I got to get the important stuff. Oh yeah, I've got kids that have to go with me. So it's, it's phone, it's keys, it's wallets, kids, it's whatever I need to do. You kind of do this mental checklist. Then when we get into the minivan, we do the physical checklist. I look around, make sure I actually have everybody in there with me. And then I always ask a question, is everybody buckled? Like we just do those things naturally. Those are not written down anywhere for me. Brian, before you go out of the house, make sure you check to make sure you have this, this, and that. Before you drive anywhere, make sure you ask your kids these questions. Like that's not written anywhere. It's just a mental checklist that we just naturally do and we do it all the time. Before we go anywhere, we kind of go through this little checklist. I want us to have a, same, a similar checklist in regards to the love that we have for other people with our actions and also our words. So you might have to write these down at first because they're not ingrained like your wallet and keys and kids and everything. But I'm hoping it becomes so ingrained that over time, before I walk out the door, let me just go through my checklist so that I can love others in a way that is obvious, that points to Jesus. Before I do anything, every time I interact with somebody, Kind of go through this mental checklist of, am I loving others in a way that points people to the hope I have in Jesus? So to help you with that, here's the three questions that are going to act as almost that mental checklist. If you need to take a picture of them on the screen, write them down, do something. So over time, these become ingrained so that our obvious love and how we treat other people begins to point to the hope we have in Jesus. Here they are. First, do I see needs around me? Let me go through them. Let me let you write them down, take a picture, and then we'll talk about them. Do I see needs around me? What do I have? What do I have? And what do I have to lose? That's a pretty common phrase, right? What do I have to lose? Do I see needs around me? What do I have? And what do I have to lose? 
Let me help you understand. We're just going to talk real quick. They're pretty self-explanatory, but let me dive in just a little bit further on each of them. Do I see the needs around me? I think it's interesting that before Peter and John gave this beggar anything, this lame man anything, they first said, look at us. And I think what has happened, because this man had been begging at the temple courts every day, if you caught that word, he was there every single day, and he probably just held his hand out or something like this and just didn't even bother looking at people anymore and just like, any help, please? Any money, please? Anything? Please help? I mean, just after getting denied so many times, you don't even notice people coming in. As I would imagine his eyes are down and his hand is just up, just asking for help. And so many people walked by this man without ever really doing too much. I'm sure some people did some things, but even Peter and John, they were about to walk by when this man said, do you have anything? And they stopped. And they went to look at this man. He wasn't even looking at him. He said, look at us, look at me. Pay attention to me. He noticed, Peter and John noticed this Man, so often we are so quick to move through life, you know this, where we just blow through things and we're not so keen and we're not so aware of the needs around us. I would say we're pretty aware of like the big picture needs, like the major problems that our world is facing. Like we know those needs, but do you know the needs of your family right now? What does your spouse need from you right now? What do your kids need from you right now? What do your parents need from you right now? What do your friendships, what do your friends need from you right now? What are some of their needs? What about your next door neighbor? Not even neighborhood and community. Like what's your next door neighbor? What are some of their needs? See, we can get moving so fast that we, we miss the needs that are truly around us. So I would say open your eyes, pay attention it was kind of helpful for Peter and John because this man actually asked, do you have anything? Sometimes we're waiting for somebody to ask. Sometimes we have to do the asking. If you don't know, when I ask the question, do you know the needs around you? And if you're like, I don't really know. Ask, <laughs> find out, lean in. You've got close relationships, ask. It doesn't mean you're, you, you can do everything about it. It doesn't mean you're gonna be the only solution to all the needs, but ask and at least find out what the needs are. Then you can start thinking of your community. Start thinking of your church. Start thinking of the needs around you. Let me give you one. This is probably a need that you had no idea existed. So I'm just gonna tell you, so you have one, right? It's a specific need in our church. So obviously with COVID and the way the realities are right now with quarantine and you know how that goes, it's your kid gets exposed or direct exposure. So now you and your family are quarantined and like all that's just a reality we're facing now. So in our kids' ministry, we have ratios that we refuse to, uh, to fudge because that's for the safety of the kids. So we have ratios for the size of the room. So based on the square footage of the room, we allow so many kids in that room that we think is safe. Then we also have a student or kid to adult ratio that we will never fudge. We always want to make sure that we have the right number of volunteer adult leaders with a specific number of kids and students. And because of COVID and people having to call out last minute. We have an incredible volunteer team, but they're dealing with the same realities we all are. So in this season, our kids ministry is dealing with a lot of last minute call outs. Like, oh no, like somebody got sick or, oh, my kid was around somebody that was around somebody. So we're going to play it safe and stay home. We don't want to expose anybody else, which we're super grateful for. But that means we have to then 
more so reduce the number of kids that are able to be in that classroom and shut down different classrooms just because of the number of volunteers that have to call out at times, right? So that's the, that's the need around us. So here's the solution that I'll just throw it out there. And if this hits you in the heart, then great. If not, that's totally okay. There's plenty of other needs in the world that, you can, that God can use you for. We're looking for substitutes from now until Easter that would just be willing to be on an email list. We will only ask you about once or twice a month. It's not like we're going to call you. How about now? How about now? How about now? How about now? <laughs> you might, might as well just volunteer for the whole year. No, we're saying we'd call you or email you about once or twice a month. And only when it's a, we will have to close down or drastically reduce the number of kids that are in an environment, would you be willing to jump in? We'll background check you. We'll make sure you have everything you need. But would you be willing to be a sub, be on call between now and Easter and be willing to commit to helping out if we need it last minute, once or twice a month? So if that's you, if you're like, man, I didn't even know that was a need. Exactly, that's what I told you. Email Rachel. Rachel Hip is our kids director, rhip at mylocalchurch.com. All you gotta do is, Brian said something about subbing now till Easter. She'll background check you. She'll get you all, everything you need to know. And then you can look for a call or an email. Like I said, no more than once or twice a month. But there's no way you would have known that unless I said something or if somebody asked. So start doing that outside of just this church context and Begin to pay attention. Open your eyes. Do you see the needs around you? Let's go to the second one. What do you have? So often we stop before we even get to that part. If you go back to the story, Peter said to this man, he says, silver or gold, I don't have. In other words, what you're asking me for, I cannot help with. What you need, I cannot provide. The problem you have, I don't have the solution to. You need money, I don't have any. And typically that's where it stops, isn't it? Oh, I wish I could. I wish I had. If I had more, then I would. Like we say those things. We stop with what we don't have. But Peter goes further. Silver or gold, I don't have, but I do have something. I've got something that you're not even asking for. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. So what do you have? Instead of being stuck and fixated and all you wish you could do, and what you would do if you had more or had fill in the blank. Focus on what you do have. So what do you have? Maybe you have time. Maybe you have some energy. Maybe you have a passion for something. Maybe you have expertise, knowledge. Maybe you have a listening ear. Maybe you have compassion. Maybe you have wisdom. Maybe you have resources. I don't know what you have, but if you will begin to walk outside of your home and constantly be paying attention to the needs around you, do I see the needs around me? And you focus on what you do have, you're gonna see opportunities and moments to use what you have for the needs around you. Not like, oh man, I really wish I could. It's the prayer we've been praying quite a bit if you've been with me long enough. God, how do you wanna use me where I am with what I have? What do I have? Then the last part, the last question, the last kind of mental checklist is, what do I have to lose? That phrase is referring to, regardless of the result, it doesn't change something. That's what that phrase means, what do I have to lose? Regardless of how it turns out, there's something that doesn't change, so you have this freedom to just go for it. Because of the hope that we have in Jesus, you have the freedom to love and to love extravagantly, and I would even say recklessly. Why? Because your hope in Jesus is not gonna change. That hope that he gives you, you're not gonna run out of it. 
So it gives us this freedom to give and to be generous. And I'm not just talking about generosity with finances. It's exactly what, what Peter and John did. They gave something beyond just money. They said, I've got so much hope in me. I wanna make sure you know about it too. What do I have to lose? What are you afraid of? Your reputation? No, my identity's in Jesus, not what other people think of me. What do you have to lose? What are you afraid of, like running out of money? Well, Jesus promises to provide for you. What are you afraid of? What do you have to lose? I would say nothing. Now, does that mean, don't mishear me. I'm not saying you live recklessly. <laughs> I'm just gonna do whatever I want. That's what pastor said on Sunday. No, 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 no. Because of the hope that we have, we can love, obviously. And like I said, even recklessly. Becky and I, at different times, worked at Starbucks, uh, different parts of our lives. And I'd say, it's a, it's a, when we were there, it was a great company to work for. Super great, regardless whether you like their coffee or not. Like, it's a great company to work for. One of the perks of working at Starbucks is you would get to take home a pound of coffee every single week. Now, Becky, my wife, she is not a coffee drinker, which is shocking. I don't know how you're in management in Starbucks, but you don't like coffee, but that's a whole other thing. So she doesn't like coffee, so she'd bring home these pounds of coffee every single week. I love coffee, but there's no way I can drink a pound of coffee every single week. It's just not gonna happen. So we found ourselves with a pantry full of whole bean pounds of Starbucks coffee. We had every different kind you could possibly imagine. Like we looked like a Starbucks store inside our home. And so we were trying to give it away. And we find that like, we don't have any more room for this. We have to get rid of some of this coffee. I'm not gonna drink it all. We have to get rid of it. Felt wasteful to throw it away. So let's do something with it. So guess what every family member got at Christmas every year? <laughs> coffee. It was like good, expensive Starbucks coffee. Like it felt like a very good gesture. Guess what everybody got for their birthday? Coffee. Anybody that had an anniversary? Pound of coffee. Baby showers? Pounds of coffee. We would look for any reason to give people coffee. My ears were always listening for somebody to just say the word coffee. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You like coffee? Hang on a second. I go to my house and I bring back bags. Hey, here you go. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's so generous. And I'm like, you have no idea. No, no, no. Thank you. I never worried about running out of coffee. So I gave it as much as I could. In every instance and in every situation, I was looking for opportunities to give it away. Church, if you have the hope of Jesus in you, you should be constantly looking for ways to be extravagant and obvious in your love because of the hope that you have because it's not gonna run out. So those are our actions. But like we said, our words have to match our actions. So you've got a checklist for your actions. Every time you're interacting with somebody, okay, am I looking for needs? What do I have? What do I have to lose? Let's go for it. So after that story, the continuation of the story is, even though this man was super glad to be healed, a lot of the religious leaders were not so glad that he was healed. In fact, they arrested Peter and John. They began to question Peter and John. Like, what are you doing? And how are you doing this? And specifically, like, how did you heal that man? So now you're going to pay attention. I want us to pay attention to the words that Peter says that points to the hope that he had. Acts chapter 4, at the end of verse 7, you have the religious leaders that says, by what power, by what name did you do this? Listen for the words that he spoke. We've seen his actions. Now let's listen for his words. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, these are words we're, we're focusing on, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed. In other words, we're talking about the same thing, right? Like you're mad because we healed somebody. Let's just make sure we're clear. If that's what we're being asked about, verse 10, then know this, or another translation, it says, so let me be clear. So know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, this is interesting. Verse 13, when they, the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, it was obvious that they had hope in Jesus. Just by what he said, it was obvious that they knew Jesus. Verse 20, after a little bit more dialogue, Peter says this to kind of wrap it up. He says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, it doesn't matter what you tell us to do or not to do. We can't help but tell you about the hope that we have in Jesus. So just like I gave you like the mental checklist for our actions, love that is obvious through our actions, I wanna give you a mental checklist for words that show love in an obvious way. Now let's just be super, super clear here. When I say words, I am talking about the spoken word and the written word. Can we do this? Can you nod like you understand what I'm saying without saying it? I don't wanna be too condemning on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you understand. I'm talking about Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and okay. Some of you are like, ooh, you went there. All right, here's your mental checklist. You ready? First, is it godly? Second, is it clear? Third, is it consistent? So write them down because you're not gonna have them all at first. Take a picture if you need to. We'll post them later. Is it godly? Is it clear? Is it consistent? Before we say a word, before we type a word, before we write a word, before we send a word, could we go through this mental checklist? to make sure that our love through words is obvious and points to the hope in Jesus that we have. Let me talk through them just real quick. Is it godly, is it clear, and is it consistent? Is it godly? Peter started, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them. So it's obvious that it was godly. And he kept pointing people back to Jesus. He said Jesus again and again and again. Salvation is found in no other name under heaven. It's only in Jesus. So is it godly? Let me just say this. If your answer is no, it's not godly, then just don't say it. Okay, that's clear enough. But let me add this. If your answer is I'm not sure, wait until you are sure one way or the other. Wait, just hit pause long enough to figure out if what you're about to say or write is godly. Do you remember when you used to like fly on planes and every now and then you would be on a plane and they'd come over, hey, we're sorry for the delay. We've had a mechanical issue and we're not going to clear this plane for flight until we figure out the issue. You're probably internally like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. But you are gonna wait until that plane is fixed. You're not gonna say, no, no big deal. Let's get this puppy in the air. Let's see how she does. We'll deal with it afterwards. No, you wanna be 100% confident that, what that, that whatever that problem was is fixed and that the pilots are confident that it's fixed before you take off. Same thing with our words. Is it godly? Well, I'm not really sure. Then wait. Wait until you know for sure before you take off. Let's talk about the second one. Is it clear? We mentioned that. 
Peter said literally those words. Make sure this is clear. I want to make sure we're clear on this. And what was he clear about? It was pointing back to Jesus. It wasn't pointing back to himself. It would have been very easy for Peter to say, well, let me tell you, I'm kind of a big deal in like church circles. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I was actually, the other disciples don't know this, but there's like a top three. I'm one of those top three. I was with Jesus when he did all these miracles. I kind of see how it, I saw how it went. I know how it goes. I'm kind of a big deal. No, he said, let me be clear. This man is healed because of Jesus. He was very clear on pointing it back. Be clear. The hope that you have is in Jesus. Why do you love? Why do you say the things you say? Why do you choose not to say other things? I mean, it could just be because you're a nice person or it could be be because you have the hope of Jesus in you. Be clear. Lastly, be consistent. Let there be consistency. Verse 20, where Peter said, as for us, it doesn't really matter what happens. We are gonna continue to tell people about Jesus. We can't help it. Do you know what prevents us from being consistent in our words? You ready? Two things, other people and our emotions. You say one thing, well, because they... Then in another environment, you say something else. Well, because I felt. We lose consistency when our emotions take over. What Peter is saying is it doesn't matter what happens. We will always be clear and consistent in who our hope is in. And it's always in Jesus. In fact, later on, when Peter's talking again to the early church, he says this, 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, always or in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So it starts here, the hope that we have inside. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't miss the last part. So do you have an answer? Right, we're talking about this progression of I have this hope in me and because of that hope, I have this obvious love towards others through everything that I do and everything that I say. And it always points back to the hope that I have in Jesus. But if somebody were to say, why? Why do you do that? Why do you not do that? Why do you live this way? Why do you say that? Do you have a good reason? Do you have a good answer? I get asked that quite a bit. Like, why do you work at a church? And why do you say this? And why don't you speak on these things? And why don't you tell us your opinion on those? People want to know why about me certain times. Let me give you my why. Maybe this helps you. My why comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, straight out of Scripture. Verse 14, for Christ's love, his love compels us because we are convinced that, no, that one died for all and therefore all died. So he took my place. Verse 15, and he who died for all, Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I personalize that. So why do I do what I do? Why do I say what I say? Because Christ's love compels me. The love that he has shown me, the hope that I have in me, it compels me, it moves me, it inspires me, it motivates me, it compels me because I am convinced that's the biblical definition of hope is an expectation, a confident expectation in the hope that I have in Jesus. The gift of eternal life, not that I've earned it or deserve it, but because he gave it willingly with his life. So I'm convinced I have this hope that what Jesus did, he covered all my sins and he took care of it all. So why do I do what I do now? It's this last part. So now those that live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. But I really wanna say what's not for you. But I really don't want to do what's not for you. 
We don't live for us. We live for him. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. We need to pledge ourselves anew to the cause of Christ. We must capture the spirit of the early church. Wherever the early Christians went, they made a triumphant witness for Christ. Whether on the village streets or in the city jails, they daringly proclaimed the good news of the gospel. Church, I hope that for us. I pray that for us. That our love for others would be obvious through our actions and our words because of the hope that we have. The hope that we have in Jesus and it's only found in him. If you'll close out your eyes with me at home and here in the room, if you would begin to just go through those mental checklists for a moment. Where is your love obvious? Where is your love not so obvious? And may what's in our heart, the hope that we have, and we ask God to use that to pour out love to other people. Jesus, thank you so much for the love that you've given us. I pray that because of the hope that we have, that our love will be evident and obvious to every single person we encounter through our actions and through our words, that no one will miss the hope that we have, not to make our name great, not to make the name of a church great, but to make your name great and known, that we always point back to you because it's because of the hope that we already have. In Jesus' name, amen.